Hello, and welcome to episode 171 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Ambassador Juan Gabriel Valdez, the Chilean ambassador to the United States since 2014. Ambassador Valdez is also the former Minister of Foreign Affairs for Chile in 1999. He is the former ambassador to the United Nations and a member of the Security Council from 2000-2003. Dr. Valdez is also the former ambassador to Argentina and Spain and the former head of the United Nations Stabilization Mission in Haiti. He's a former director of Chile's public diplomacy program and is a member of the Global Leadership Foundation. Uh, ambassador Valdez, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much for interviewing me. Excellent. The first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Well, I suppose that uh, we diplomats are messengers of peace and, uh, and uh, dialogue and goodwill among nations. Therefore, um, what I have uh, done during my life is to promote the association of Chile with different countries, uh, in this case, most particularly with the United States. I have lived for a long time in this country, first as a student, mm -hmm. a long time ago. I got my PhD here from Princeton University. And then I, was, uh, I lived as a researcher here in Washington for some time. And then I went, um, I was assistant professor in some universities. Then I became ambassador to the UN and I lived in New York for four years and now I have been three years in Washington, and I have to say that um, this is, of course, one of the countries that are closest to my heart in that sense. So when you were young, um, it was during the reign of Augusto Pinochet, the now-known dictator of Chile, and you were actually part of, your family was in political exile in the United States. Your father, um, Gabriel Valdez, having been the former Chilean foreign minister and president of the Chilean Senate, um, so you removed to America as a member almost of the opposition party, later returning to work as part of the opposition party to bring down the dictatorship in Chile. Uh, to what extent do you believe, that's quite a unique background that you have, and from a very young age you were inculcated in the political tradition of your father and of your nation. Can you speak for a moment about how that legacy, or I guess what transpired, how did it feel to be in exile, and how does that continue to shape um, your diplomatic relations with America today, the nation that provided you refuge when your family was in need? Um, I have to, to, to clarify certain points. I came to this country as a student, as a PhD student. I was already married. My father was a high uh, member of the United Nations at the time in New York. And I came to Princeton and I was there when the coup happened. We were people who were for democracy and against military dictatorships. And therefore, I committed myself in that um, fight against the Chilean dictatorship since the beginning. Mm -hmm. However, it was a fight that was based especially on showing the world the uh, violations to human rights, the brutalities that were committed in Chile at the time, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and a fight also to organize ourselves to recuperate democracy. My father was very much committed to it. He came back to Chile and he became president of, and leader of the opposition, president of his party and leader of the opposition. 
And I became an exile only after the person with whom I worked here in Washington, Orlando Letelier, was killed by a bomb in Sheridan Circle in 1976. In Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C. It was the first political crime or the first terrorist attempt committed in the capital of the United States and you had by, been a foreign, in, by a foreign country. And you had been in that same car a day earlier while the bomb was actually attached. Were That's, you ever a target of assassination? Not that I know. Uh, what I know is that I was very close with Orlando Letelier and that, in fact, I was planned. It was planned that I would go with him that morning in the car and it happened that for just by a chance I called him to say, no, I cannot uh, go at that mo time. Then I, I joined you later in the office mm -hmm. and for that reason I wasn't in the car. However, the point is that after that happened and I denounced the military dictatorship as responsible for that murder, I became an exile and I went to Mexico. So it's clear that you've taken great personal risk in trying to advance the public interest as you understand it in Chile, That's though right. already having previously been a member of the political class before the rise of Pinochet, it must, it, it must have been a difficult decision to make because it probably would have been an easier decision to remain in power and be quiet as Pinochet took over. What do you suppose inspired you and your father to speak out against the dictatorship as opposed to, I'm sure there were some politicians who remained in power and did not speak out about the, against the opposition? Chile was a country, is a country with a long democratic tradition. We don't like military dictators. And therefore, uh, our reaction was simply the reaction of committed Democrats who saw that because of different reasons, uh, the democracy failed, was destroyed, and was replaced by a regime that violated our rights. Therefore, it was just natural for us to respond. I was not a politician before coming to the United States. I was simply a student. Did you envision course, yourself being an academic? Yes. Well, more or less an academic and also more or less a politician. You did become involved with the Institute for Policy Studies, so it, which is Washington. a think tank in Washington. That's right. So you were involved in somewhat of the academic track. And did you not foresee yourself entering politics in the footsteps of your father? Yes, I foresaw that, but life is, uh, has surprises. And uh, I um, was very much involved in the in the organization against Pinochet, first abroad and then in Chile, when we were allowed to come back, uh, we, uh, when, when, when a small, uh, small degree of opposition was allowed, we began working against the government. So Pinochet and when, allowed opposition back the into end. the country? Yes. Why? Because there was a lot of international pressure uh, against him, come, but especially from the United States after Carter's election and during Ronald Reagan also. Mm -hmm. Um, the violations of human rights in Chile were too blatant and too intolerable as to become uh, a part of co normal life in the region. There were countries in the region like Mexico that were very critical of the Chilean government. Therefore, the government began to plan for a transition. And this planning for a transition included the possibility of allowing um, op opposition leaders who were not in favor of any sort of violence, who were pacifists in a sense, to act, and we acted. So, back to that incident in 1973, I believe it was. 76. 76, with the assassination attempt that you narrowly avoided. Was there, was there a time, I guess I'm interested in the impact of that in your life. Was, there, was that a time, or was there any other time, when you considered the cause of restoring uh, democracy 
to Chile and advancing the public interest and uh, the protection of human rights. Did, was there ever a point when you thought that those were things that you were willing to give your life towards? Oh, yes. I think we were all involved up to that extent. Uh, we were very committed. We knew that coming back to Chile and acting in Chile was not an easy thing. In fact, as soon as I arrived, my apartment was raided. Uh, as soon as I arrived, I realized that all my phones were bugged. Uh, we received threats uh, each five nights on the phone at three in the morning. Therefore, this was the ambience of a real dictatorship. So talk uh, about when you went back there and you started yes, this opposition. What did you do? How did you start working to bring down this dictatorship? I was a member of a, of a small political group, of a political party, and therefore we organized. Uh, we went around against the rules because it was forbidden. But we organized people, we discussed politics, we clarified our positions to them, uh -huh. and we invited people to uh, uh, seminars, debates. Uh, this became each day more common, and it, was, it became each day more difficult for the dictatorship to suffocate the, these kind of democratic exp expressions. And what eventually and led to the overthrow? It led to the overthrow, the, play, the, the referendum. Pinochet had planned a referendum for eight, 1988 mm -hmm. in which he would be re-elected. And if he was re-elected, he had Amanda. something like 10 more years in power. Huh. The point is that when he called for this referendum, he never imagined that people, that people would mobilize against him. And uh, in fact, when he, he committed himself to this referendum, when he planned even to retreat from that commitment, the, the, the entire world reacted saying, you cannot do that, you have to give the opposition the chance, and now you're committed to it. This will be a democratic election. Was it a and free therefore, and fair referendum? It was a fair and fair. He didn't was, try to tamper with it? Not until the result was there. And when the result came out saying that he had lost the referendum, his colleagues in the armed forces said, excuse us, but this is too late to apply violence. Therefore, we are going to negotiate and we are going to negotiate to have you protected for some years, something that happened. So when having worked in the opposition party during the Pinochet dictatorship, uh, I'm sure many of the individual of, of your colleagues later ran for office, but throughout your career, you've been a political appointee to very prestigious organizations mm -hmm. that advance the public interest, yet you never sought direct votes by popular election to become a politician yourself. You always sought to have others who got elected appoint you, and, and you've done a wonderful, uh, a, a long list of, of public service titles. But did it ever occur to you that you may seek election yourself, and why hadn't you? There are two elements in, 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 in this uh, story. The first is my fascination with international politics. In fact, I studied international politics and I permanently uh, followed the, the subjects and the events in the world. Uh, I'm more fascinated, I have to say, by international politics than by national politics. Now, having said that, to be very frank, I didn't expect to be sent as ambassador to Spain immediately after the end of the dictatorship because President Aylwin sent me there, even against my will, if you want, because I could be useful uh, given my personal relationship with the Felipe González government in Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, democratic socialists who were 
reforming the, the, the system in Spain. And, and that were very impossible. Franco had disappeared already. And he had had a, but Spain had had a similar legacy That's with exactly Franco that Chile had experienced. That's exactly the point. Therefore, I understood at the time that my mission in Spain was a very political mission. It was a diplomatic mission, of course, but it was at the same time a political mission. And I think it was very important for me and for the relationship between Chile and Spain. So you say that almost you went against your will. I'm trying to get a grasp of exactly how you understand the public interest, uh, advancing the public interest for Chileans. You, it seems as though you wanted to remain at home. You had an intellectual interest in going abroad, but you went abroad in order to help advance the interests of your nation. So I'm thinking... Well, to what extent, I guess, how did, you, how did you grapple with that idea, the idea that I must serve my country, that I know this will advance the interest, even though it may not be what I personally want to do? Why is it that you felt compelled or responsible to fulfill the request that was made of you to go to Spain right after the overthrow? Because uh, at that time, I wanted to run for Congress. You did? Yes, of course. I, the first thing I wanted after I, uh, the, the democracy came back was to run for Congress. Uh, but I was convinced that I was the adequate person to go to Spain and keep uh, the first relationship between a Chilean government and the Spanish government for a long time. After 40 years of Franco and after 17 years of dictatorship of Pinochet, Chile and Spain had always had a type of restrained relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore, the first moment in which this relationship, which ought to be important, not only because of the political relation, but also because Spain was one of the most important investors in Chile at the time. Then uh, I think that I understood this as a political mission, and I understood it with the idea of coming back and running for Congress. So is it fair to say <laughs> at that time it was more important to create warmer, more diplomatic, stronger relations with That's Spain right. than it was to advance your political career? I've always understood that... Uh, Public service is my goal, and second, that uh, public service has different faces. And uh, diplomacy, finally, is also a political task. It is overall a political task. So, would it be so in that context, would it be fair to say that you sacrificed your electoral ambitions in order to improve the political relationship between Spain and Chile? Yes, yes, that's true. But there is another element you have to understand, which I believe is important, even if you're getting uh, into my familiar family relations. My father was senator and was president of the Senate. We were not in the same parties. Hmm. It was not a good idea for me to run for Congress while he was, he was active. He was in the Senate. He was president of the Senate. Of a different party than That's the right. party that you had in opposition right. to Pinochet. That's right. We were both in the opposition, and both parties were allied in the government, were associated in the same government. The Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, or the Socialist Party of Chile, have been together for the last 40, 30 years. But just for our listeners' edification, especially our American audience, which is predominated by a two-party system, could you just very quickly say the number of political parties that existed when the Pinochet dictatorship fell and then the number of political parties that exist in 2017? Yes. Um, at the time that Pinochet fell, Pinochet, was, Pinochet failed miserably in destroying the political parties. He persecuted people, he expelled people from the country, he put people in prison, but when he finished, the same political parties that existed before were still 
there. And you had in the left, in the left you had the Communist Party and the Socialist Party, while the Communist Party at the end of Pinochet was perfectly clandestine. Mm -hmm. The Socialist Party was a party that tended toward a social, democratic, European vision and became an ally of the, with the Christian Democratic Party, which was the biggest party in the country. So there were also in the opposition. I'm speaking strictly on the opposition. So there were three parties. There was also the Radical Party, which is a very small traditional party originated at the middle of the 19th century and which mm -hmm. still exists. And then in the right-hand side of the spectrum, you had the party called Demo Independent Democratic Union, which was the most Pinochetista party of them all, and the Renovación Nacional, National Renovation, which was a liberal uh, conservative party. Anyway, so there these are two parties... Six. Yes. And, and, and are there six today? No. There are six main parties, but today there is a new legislation which allows new parties if you reunite a certain amount of mm -hmm. signatures. Yeah. Um, now it would be a more complex task to me for me to answer that. But more than six. In the left, yes, clearly more than six. In the left there are two more, and in the right there are two more. Okay. Then you have... You so have about ten. About ten parties. So I'm interested in that dynamic between your father and you. What? How did he feel about you joining a different party, and why? what led to you breaking away from the party that he was in? Well, this happened much before the coup. Uh -huh. uh, I left the Christian Democratic Party when I was uh, 19 or 20 years old, um, along with most of the youth that belonged to the Christian Democratic Party. We organized a new political party because we thought at the time that the Christian Democrats were too reluctant mm -hmm. to associate themselves with the left. Hmm. And therefore, um, the Christian Democratic Party in Chile, differently to Germany or to other places where the Christian Democrats have been important, is a center-left party. It's not a center-right party. Mm -hmm. This is important to clarify. And your father was more centrist? Yes, my, my father was center-left. But the point is that we wanted this party to associate itself with the socialists. Huh. And, uh, Are you party, a socialist? Yes. This party decided not to. Uh, therefore, we joined different socialist movements at the time as, as, a young, as young people. But then we, and of course there was at this moment a, a certain um, exchange, difficult exchange of letters with my father. Uh, but, um, but after that, uh, Pinochet uh, made us join forces because we were both in the same camp against the dictatorship and Christian Democrats and socialists developed not only links of political association. Mm -hmm. They became very close friends. The basis of the f four governments that we have had since the end of Pinochet is the association between the Christian Democrats and the Socialists. I'd like to transition and in a, in a way fast forward from the political origins of the modern democratic establishment in Chile to what you're trying to do in your current role as a Chilean ambassador to the United States. Now, I do understand that there are a number of partnerships that the state of Chile has with various states within the United States. I understand that there's a partnership with California, Massachusetts, particularly with Seattle, Washington, and you, on the horizon there may even be an opportunity to partner with Arizona on such issues as trade, mm. technology, and energy. 
Can you speak for a moment about this idea of sister agencies are creating partnerships between a foreign nation and individual states within the United States, how you came up with this idea, and what you're trying to accomplish with these ideas as ambassador? Let me say, first of all, that our relationship with the United States since the change in government in Chile and the recuperation of democracy has been simply excellent. We have uh, agreed on our vision of Latin America, of the importance of human rights and democracy, and on the importance of open trade. Chile is, the, is a very free trade uh, uh, country. Friedman Economics uh, from University of Chicago. Correct. Well, that was during Pinochet. We modified that because we thought that was not necessarily useful for our development. Market, the market, the free market doesn't produce necessarily development. You need a state that intervenes and acts. Uh, and of course, this wouldn't be liked by uh, Friedmanites. But anyway, the point is that from the point of view of our insertion into globalization, we have always thought that the type of country we have, the type of the economy we have, with 19 million people, 18 million people, we need to export what we produce. And therefore, uh, open trade is for us a matter of existence. Hmm. Therefore, we signed the free trade agreement with the United States 11 or 12 years ago, in which I had the honor of being one of the first that initiated the negotiations with the United States. We negotiated with the European Union, we, are, we have a free trade agreement with China, etc. And with all Latin American countries, of course. Now, if you have such a good relationship with the United States and with the government of the United States, what you want to do is to establish an even better relationship between the two societies. Hmm. And in order to link the two societies, you need to look at issues like technology, science, education, uh, health services. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you want to look at these issues, you realize that these are not in Washington. It is not simply a matter of uh, a federal government. It's a matter of the local governments. It's a matter of the states. And therefore, you try as an embassy with the uh, probably uh, inadequate means we have, you try to reach towards people who are acting in different states of the Union that are very similar to ours. Now, is this bilateral or... Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, does the United States have relationships with specific provinces within Chile? We are trying to build that. Because, for, for instance, you have states in this country like Washington State, Seattle, which is exactly the reproduction in terms of nature, climate, production, productivity, exports, than we have in the south of Chile. In, the, in two or three provinces in the south of Chile. Therefore, the idea of linking the business people, linking the universities, linking the scientists comes as a very normal and natural initiative. And uh, Chile began this effort with California. And the University of California, Davis, was critical in the development of our wine industry, which has made us world famous. Um, the, the, the President Bachelet renewed this agreement um, in her previous government, in the first government, and um, the Chile-California fu Council functions very well and promotes investments, pro promotes associations. This is very important. Well, of course, California is a country in itself. I mean, it's the fifth economy in the world, and for us, it's a very important partner as a direct partner. With Massachusetts, we have the linkages between scientists from one side, MIT, 
etcétera, to Chile. And we are working together. MIT has an office in Santiago, Chile, and they are working with scientists in Chile in different projects. Therefore, you see, um, government-to-government relations are very important, are essential. But if you stay right there, you are not doing a real service to your community. You need to link the two countries in a different way, and this is what we have attempted to do. So, Ambassador Valdez, it is clear that you have a long history of grassroots involvement, of making sure that when there is a top-down relationship, as you saw in Pinochet, that the people begin to get uh, mm-hmm. incorporated into political processes and exchange as well, that the, dem- the, tr- the democratic traditions of your nation uh, are very strong, and, and, it's, and it's clear in your modern philosophy and your projects in connecting the peoples of Chile with the peoples of the United States instead of only having a formal um, elite-level relationship. As we approach the end of this podcast, I'd like to ask you to suppose that you're speaking to an assembly of Chileans in, um, in a plaza in Santiago, and they're assembled there. You've never represented them as an elected official, but you've re- represented them many different points around the globe. But I want you to take a moment and speak to this assembly of Chileans in a plaza in Santiago about why it is that you found it so important to do public service throughout your life in all these different capacities, why you might encourage them to follow suit and pursue public service to advance Chile's interests however they see fit, and ultimately what you hope your legacy of all this public service will be. Please, what would you say to these individuals assembled before you in Santiago? Um, well, public service is a vocation, and um, uh, I understand that uh, a human being confronts a series of different alternatives. You can be of uh, you can you can be of public service. You can make public service also in the private sector, because you can orient your initiatives to uh, favor the well-being and the personal development of uh, different groups in society. But government and government service is a very special uh, area and uh, it is in part a tradition. I very much admire the figure of my father and of others in my family before him who served the country, probably in the same way in which I have done it. My great-grandfather was Minister of Foreign Affairs and was three times ambassador in Europe in this time. And therefore, there is a tradition of diplomats in my family, that's clear. But I would say that Chile is a country that needs to be represented abroad in the best way. Chile is a very distant nation, in a sense. You, you take a long time to fly there. Uh, you have a very difficult geography. It is almost an island surrounded by the Andes the desert in the north and the Pacific Ocean. Uh, And therefore, you need to have Chileans abroad that explain our nature, our capacities, our uh, human capital, the way in which people develop in Chile and and also the dreams that Chileans have and be able to attract the world toward us. Because, as I said, we are a country that is too far away from the rest. Therefore, I believe that this is not, as I said before, it's simply a diplomatic service in terms of a passing uh, gesture in the middle of public service in Chile. I think that diplomacy in Chile is essential to our well-being and to our development. This is what I would tell people. 
And that has been Ambassador Juan Gabriel Valdez, Chilean ambassador to the United States, former Minister of Foreign Affairs, former ambassador to the United Nations, a member of the Security Council, as well as a former ambassador to Argentina and Spain, former head of the United Nations Stabilization Mission in Haiti, former director of Chile's public diplomacy program, and a member of the Global Leadership Foundation, who speaks about creating connections across society, speaks about the importance of democratic traditions in Chile, and how he uses his history of political involvement, the history of his his family's uh, political and diplomatic involvement in public service, as a means of connecting to the American people and advancing the Chilean interest by ensuring that there are robust connections between the different societies. And that public service isn't only a top-level operation, but at every point in democratic societies, governments rely upon participation of the people and inclusion, wide inclusion across society of, um, of everyone in, 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 in the role in government and in private sector. And he speaks to public service as uh, something that uh, is predominantly for him about promoting peace and dialogue and through peace and dialogue he seeks to advance the public interest as ambassador so uh, Ambassador Valdez I'd like to thank you for joining us today thank you very much and this has been uh, episode 171 of Public Interest Podcast with your host Jordan Cooper where we interview politicians activists advocates and others who seek to improve the state of the world I remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com listen on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud CastBox Blueberry Player FM Facebook Twitter and LinkedIn and should you wish to uh, comment on this interview please leave a three minute message at 240-630-0380 and that message may be played on publicinterestpodcast.com should you wish to support the mission of this podcast you're welcome to contribute amount that you feel comfortable with on publicinterestpodcast.com thank you so much for joining us today and we'll talk to you next time